mindfulness mode. The first step is always the awareness. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindful night life and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. Yes, Mindful Tribe. I am so excited today, as I, I think I always say that because I always am. <laughs> and I have a, a, a person here who is a trained hypnotherapist. And of course, I'm very interested in that because I've been doing doing hypnosis for quite a while, Pilates, yoga, she's a meditation teacher, she's founder of, get this, she's founder of the Mindful Movement. So we're going to be talking all about that. And I love what it says in her bio. It says she's become an oasis for those looking to tap into their inner calm. Now, if that isn't a beautiful sentence for a meditation person, for a mindfulness person, I don't know what is. It also says she helps you develop a positive mindset and heal from the stress that's blocking fulfillment. And that's another great sentence. And wow, hasn't it been true though, with COVID, with the pandemic, a lot of us are feeling we are you know, not reaching our level of fulfillment. So Sarah can help you with this. So Sarah, are you in mindfulness mode today? I I hope to be. I I endeavor to be in mindfulness mode every day. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) You certainly seem to be. And I was just commenting on all the plants behind you. And and that uh, was interesting talking to you about those plants. And do those plants help you have a sense of mindfulness in your life, do you think? Uh, I guess they do. I never really thought about it, but I think they do. Yeah, taking care of them and looking at what their needs might be in any given moment. I actually have one plant that is not in this room, but it really tells you exactly when it's ready to be watered. It sort of wilts and uh-huh. it looks very sad and it looks like it needs attention. And and that's my my cue. Does it almost feel like having a pet? I guess a little bit. Yes, yes. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Tell us what mindfulness means to you, Sarah. Oh, that's a good question. Um, mindfulness to me, I think the meaning of it or how I have approached it has evolved over the years. But I would say that mindfulness is about being awake to the true experience of life as you're as you're experiencing it so that you can really get the the fullness of the experience as it's unfolding. Well, I like that sentence too. You are a wordsmith. You can just let those <laughs> those words just all fit together like a puzzle and then it sounds impressive. How long have you been teaching meditation and working in the field of mindfulness, Sarah? Well, I would say that I have been using it in everything that I have done as an adult, although maybe I didn't know that I was Mm -hmm. teaching mindfulness. My first career out of college was a kindergarten teacher. And even as a kindergarten teacher, I think that I approached that as with mindfulness, if you will, you know, Mm -hmm. the kids at, uh, you have a group of 25 or so five-year-olds and you need to help them be aware of themselves and mm-hmm. even just using different levels of volume of my voice allowed me yeah. to interact with them in a way that 
you know, brought them back into the moment. And, sure. And how long were though, you a kindergarten teacher for? Uh, not very long. I worked in college in preschools and with young kids. But then um, after my first year of teaching, I um, I had my daughter. And so I didn't go back. I, I intended yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, but I brought my teaching into the Pilates and yoga world. And even though at that time I wasn't necessarily teaching mindfulness or meditation, again, it's a mind-body practice. And even in teaching someone how to exercise or move, there was a lot of mindfulness that was interwoven in my mm -hmm. my teaching just yes. naturally. So which came first, yoga or Pilates? For me, Pilates came first. And actually, when I started teaching yoga, it's a little embarrassing to say, but I, I never liked the the meditation part of it okay. because it was so difficult for me. Sure. Uh, I, I I always found my uh, my entrance into mindfulness through the body, and I still do. But Physically. I think I have a little bit more ability to sit in in quiet and silence and stillness. And uh, but at the time. I was, I think, around 25 or 26 when I first started practicing and teaching yoga. And it was very difficult for me to, like, Shavasana, the final relaxation pose, was always the most difficult, where you're just being. Mm -hmm. um, but now I think it's sort of flipped around where I, I much prefer the, yeah. the, the meditation component of yoga. Yeah, well, if I could add my two cents worth i think it's an advantage that you had a challenge with the meditation part you know why because so many people i talk to feel the same way yeah. and if you were that person that oh well the meditation that's easy you know everybody can do that you know then people wouldn't relate to you the same way sure. but the fact that you struggled with it helps you to teach others who struggle with it does that seem like a truth yeah i would say yeah I was the one that at the end of class, when the teacher was starting to prepare for Shavasana, I would, you know, make an excuse to to leave the class. And, <laughs> yes. And, but that was really what I needed the most at the time. I just didn't really know it. Yeah. So yeah. tell us more about what Pilates is and what it does for you as a human. Sure. Well, Pilates takes, a, it has some similarities to yoga. I think yoga is a little bit more mainstream, although Pilates is sort of coming up behind it. Uh, but it's a mind-body practice, meaning you are being intentional. You're being aware of what you are doing and using your awareness, your, your mind to affect change in the physical body. I see. And so what are you actually doing? Are you following a leader all the time when you go? Like, do you have to go to a class then? Uh, I would say most people start with a class to learn the exercises, to learn the philosophy of Pilates, and then perhaps could transfer, transition into a personal practice. I do think as an instructor, I... I love to have my students eventually become independent mm -hmm. and be able to rely on their own understanding of their body. So while I do teach a specific 
you know, exercise method, I think that each individual person is their own best teacher when it comes to what they need in any given exercise or any given moment, because mm -hmm. I'm not in their body. I can't feel what they're feeling. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I have training, obviously, and I can see alignment and I can see someone's ability to move in a certain way, but I don't really know what they need as well as they do. So if I just really loved Pilates and didn't love yoga so much, tell me, mm -hmm. what do you think would be the reason for that? What is the advantage mm -hmm. of Pilates over yoga? I think that is a tough question because both methods have variations. Yes. So depending on... Uh, who a yoga teacher has learned from or what sort of lineage they've learned from, they might have a very different style. So an Ashtanga yoga class or a flow, like a power yoga class might feel very different than a restorative yoga class or a, a general Hatha yoga class. And then the same is true for Pilates where, you know, there's a classically trained Pilates instructor versus a contemporary trained Pilates instructor. So they, they feel a little different. Um, I, that's not necessarily answering your question, but mm -hmm. I would say for either direction or either uh, modality, being able to connect with an instructor on an energetic uh, personality level is really important. And Again, just really checking in with what the individual needs are, meaning I personally might find a lot of value working with, you know, instructor A versus instructor B just might not be the right fit for me, no matter what their training is or what actual method they're using. Well, here's a question for you. When I work with clients and I encourage people to do yoga because I think it can really help that mind-body connection. There are a lot mm -hmm. of reasons I might encourage them to do this. But in my experience in the past, I've had men say to me, well, I feel like if I sign up for a yoga class, I might be the only guy and I'm not comfortable with that. But if I suggest Pilates, they don't have that same thought. They don't have that mm. same idea. Is that true? Is it true that yoga um, in the world is seen as more of a feminine thing, whereas Pilates, maybe not so much? Uh, I'm not sure. I think that group classes in general are predominantly female. Mm -hmm. And that I think that's just the nature of group classes yes i do think that like my husband practices yoga a lot and he will go to a class and he always comes back and he says you know oh i was the only guy again and he's fine with it you know sure. he's practiced yoga a lot but yeah. um yeah I, I think that probably the percentages in pilates are are fairly similar are they okay um I guess it depends on the location, the demographics, the teachers. Um, yeah, Is that a problem though? Like, do you find that there are 
very many guys that are just simply uncomfortable being in uh, a, a class with predominantly women? I, I would say probably. Yeah. I mean, not having had too many conversations with men about that specifically. I do work with some clients individually. Uh, and I, I do think that one-on-one tends to be higher, you know, male yeah. involvement. Um, and do you but, teach you know, online? Do you do classes online? I do some. I do primarily pre-recorded classes, and then okay. they're on our YouTube channel. Um, so that's a good way to, you know, get an introduction to Pilates or yoga yeah. without having to, number one, make a financial commitment or be in a room with other people where you feel like you might be self-conscious or uncomfortable in any way. Uh, but you don't have someone looking at you and watching you and helping to give specific cues based on your, you know, your individual needs. So there's pros and cons. Yeah, sure. We seem to be entering a time where guys are becoming more more comfortable with their inner feminine mm -hmm. and women are probably becoming more comfortable with their inner masculine. I'm not sure about that. What do sure. you think? What's your opinion on all that? Sure. I do think that, you know, there's a lot of conversation around gender roles, yeah, gender yeah. identities, for sure. Um, I have two teenage kids and uh, that conversation comes up frequently in our house. And uh, I think it's just more, it's a more open conversation than it ever has been in the past. And, you know, there, there's a spectrum for everyone. And we're maybe as a society being more tolerant or more comfortable with that spectrum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so how many classes do you do a week? Live, like live classes? Sure. Uh, since the pandemic, I've really significantly reduced the number of classes that I'm teaching uh, on a weekly basis. And I've, moved a little bit more into the hypnotherapy appointments and working with clients that way. Uh, but I, I think at this point I'm teaching about three to four hours a week okay. where it used to be um, much more significant that than that maybe 20 to 30 hours a week was where I was maybe two, three years ago. Okay. Well, I'm really interested in your hypnotherapy work that you do. So tell us more about that. How did you get into it? And tell us what that practice looks like. Sure. Well, coming from teaching movement, mind-body movement, clients and students would always come to me and they were approaching their practice, their movement practice with a desire to make a change which I think a lot of people do, right? My, my son is 15 and he's going to the gym a lot and he's trying to get like big and strong. And yeah. Um, so he's trying to make a change in his body. He wants a certain, um, he wants to feel a certain way. And our movement practice definitely can facilitate that. However, mm -hmm. there was always something that I found was, missing a missing link to make the changes that were desired and that was what I had discovered for myself all around my beliefs and my 
identity in a way, like how the kind of person that I I identified as. And that's really what drew me to hypnosis and meditation was a desire to understand myself better and to connect with what I was feeling and how those emotions were playing a role in how I was behaving. Mm -hmm you know, my reactions or my responses to various situations. Uh, at the time, I was, I guess I was in my early 30s. And I was a, a mom at the time. And I was a business owner, and teacher of movement. And I was lacking confidence. And I was lacking. Uh, I was lacking a way to make difficult decisions in my life. I didn't really know what was important to me. And that's what drew me to meditation and hypnosis was to kind of figure out who I was in a way. Mm -hmm. And it made a significant difference for me to understand what was important to me and be able to use my values and those things that were important to me to make those important decisions. Right. Uh, and then, you know, I, I'm, I've always been a teacher. So yeah. the next step was to help other people do the same thing that I did. So do you do self-hypnosis as well? I do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I would say I, I tend to lean towards that maybe more than meditation because it feels like I am doing something as opposed mm -hmm. to just being which as you right. mentioned so it's before, easier for you yeah. exactly that yeah. kind of state of being was and is still challenging for me for sure mm. so i'm interested about your training when you became a hypnotist uh where did you learn well i learned uh, i originally trained with a woman here in maryland who uh it's just it was a local training and uh, it actually ended up being one-on-one -on -one. Mm -hmm. which was amazing. And I, I learned a lot and I was able to start using the practices that I learned, the strategies and tools that I learned almost right away with instructors that I was training. Mm -hmm. And as I had said, that was one of the reasons why I looked into that practice to begin with was to develop confidence in my teaching abilities, confidence in my ability to connect with students. Uh, so at the time I was training other Pilates instructors and that really, I think, set the training apart from other Pilates teacher training because I had this mindset approach to be able to bring to the table. Yeah. Sarah, tell us a story about a client that you've worked with that it was just really quite incredible, the change that took place, the transition. Sure. Uh, oh, I love to have, I love all my client stories. <laughs> it's yeah. hard to choose just one. I'm sure. Um, the the transformations, the, the changes that clients are able to make is really, I think, what lights me up and keeps me excited about my work. Um that being said, let me see if I can think of one specific person. Sure. Um, well, because confidence is really a passion of mine, that's what brought me into the, the field in the first place. 
Uh, I'll tell you a story about a, a client that I worked with who came to me uh, specifically for confidence and uh, confidence in her relationships and confidence as a, she's an artist. So she came looking for the confidence and the willingness, the belief in her ability to have her art be a way to make a living. So before we met, it really had just been a hobby of hers. And uh, she had a, a studio at her house that she was a little, you know, disorganized with. And she would go in on occasion and she really enjoyed it. And she was actually a phenomenal artist. So we worked together and we looked at her past, some experiences from her childhood to help her to understand what the beliefs that she formed about herself were that were contributing to this lack of confidence that she experienced in her present life. And once she was able to understand those beliefs that were getting in her way, then she could recognize that while they may have been true when she was a child, they may have served her even uh, to you know, protect her or to help her you know, thrive at, at that age, they weren't true anymore and they were just holding her back and you know, keeping her from experiencing the fulfillment of her art that she really desired. And once she was able to understand that and let those beliefs go, then she, you know, made room for new beliefs that she was confident. She was worthy of the success in her artistic endeavor that she really desired. And, um, you know, I got, I got a, an email from her a couple months after the session and she was, you know, articulating all of the, the positive changes in her life, including um, some significant art deals that she was really excited about. And uh, so that was exciting for me too. Yeah, it, must it wasn't, have made it you wasn't feel my, great. exactly. And, and I always say to my clients that they're the ones doing all the hard work. It, it, and it is a little bit challenging to, to be willing to be, you know, brave and courageous enough to go back to events and, and see how our beliefs are causing these, these habitual patterns that, are hard to get out of, but, mm -hmm. but it's worth it for sure. Definitely worth it. Yes, for sure. Yeah. The name of your company is really excellent. The mindful movement and it's the mindful movement.com. So mindful tribe, yeah. that's where you can find Sarah, the mindful movement.com. Tell us about that. What do we find when we get there and what do you sure. do under that umbrella? Tell us all about it. Sure. I have a very good friend who she's like my my champion and I, I really love her and her support. And she always reminds me of this this incident or this event where I we went out to lunch and this was probably six years ago. And I told her about this business idea, this or this idea. It wasn't really meant to be a business originally. Um, but I told her about the mindful movement. This was my idea. And she always reminds me of that one, one lunch date that we had and uh, how it sort of started it all. Uh, but at the time, you know, I was very, very interested in mindfulness as a 
as a lifestyle. And I was already teaching for over a decade and using mind-body practices as a Pilates yoga instructor. And I just was so passionate about seeing how mindfulness can, it made my life significantly better, my husband's. And I just had this vision or this idea that bringing mindfulness to more people would, I know this sounds sort of cliche, but it would make the world a better place. Uh, So that's where the idea or the name kind of came from. And it's sort of twofold where you have mindful movement, right? Mind, mindful exercise or movement. And then the idea that it is a movement to mm-hmm. expand mindfulness into the world. Um, so that's what we have as a business. We, we have guided meditations. We have uh, what we call mindful tips and they're just short teachings, you know, five, 10 minute teachings. Uh, we have hypnosis practices that are available. We have some courses. Um, we have actually a free seven day uh, foundations of meditation course, which is a really great place to get started. Um, and all of those things can be found on our website. Very, very good. Very interesting. Yeah. And you have a podcast, right? Tell us about oh, that. We do. Yes. Yes. Uh, the Actually, the mindful movement itself started as a podcast and mm-hmm. uh, I was doing interviews much like this, talking to wonderful people in the mindfulness and meditation community. Uh, And at the time I was still running a Pilates and yoga studio locally in Maryland. And I had started a YouTube channel at the same time. And I quickly realized that that was too many things. Mm -hmm. I, I am the kind of person who is, I'm very passionate. I'm very excited about doing things and uh, projects and such. And I have, I have a history of taking on more than I can really handle right. at, at one time. So um, I, I needed to figure out what, what would stay and what would go. And actually the interviews after a couple months, I decided it just was too much for me. So I, I stopped doing the interviews. Um, and then my husband actually re restarted the podcast interviews about a year ago. Um, so he does all of the interviews and, um, so we're kind of a, you know, a partner. Oh, and what's your husband's name? My husband's name is Les, L-E-S. Okay. Okay. So yeah. it's Sarah and Les. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's fantastic. You're a team. We're, we're a team. Yeah. That's, Which, that's true. you know, has its, its challenges and it's, it's blessings at the same time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. What's the biggest, speaking of challenges, what's the biggest yeah. challenge you've had with your company and, and teaching this work? Sure. Uh, I would say, well, 2020 was a, a big surprise for our business. It, yeah. uh, it, you know, our, our business is kind of a, built around a YouTube channel and in 2020, we grew quite a lot. And that was wonderful and also a big surprise. So we definitely had some growing pains um, with our business structure, our, you know, as an organization, some of the financial side of our business growth was uh, 
it was a little bit challenging for us for sure, but I think we're starting to, you know, get back on track and, well, and feel like we're, we're solid and we're settled, I guess. So you both um, work full time in the business then? Uh, I work full time in this business and he works, I would say, part time. We also, as I said, we own a Pilates and yoga studio uh, and and the same business owns a gym. So he is the one that runs the gym. He does the personal training and the group classes there. And um, so he is he's a little more part time with the mindful movement. I see. But even running a gym is very related to the work that you do, isn't it? It is for sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very yeah, interesting. So, yeah. That, you should hear our, our dinner table conversations. They're all, all about this. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I always ask a question, Sarah, about bullying. Do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Uh, I do. I was thinking about this, uh, you know, in, in preparation for our conversation. And I do have a recent story that I would be willing to share I just need to make sure that uh, if you're okay with this, the the other side of the experience is uh, I will keep their privacy if that's oh, fine. Oh yeah, sure, okay. sure, of okay. course. So, um, I you know I shared a story about how I started in hypnosis, and I have a wonderful relationship with that teacher and mentor. And then a, a couple of years went by, and I was looking for continuing education. And I took a training with another teacher and it was great. I really found a lot of value from it. And I think that it's made a significant improvement in, in my own practice uh, and working with clients. And so I have a YouTube channel and it's obviously very public and I have put out lots of content and Mindfulness is helping me even now. I'm feeling a little bit uh, anxious talking about it. (laughs) So I'm aware of that. Okay. So I was contacted by this, uh, this teacher's company and it really felt a little bit like they were bullying me in terms of uh, they wanted to take legal action to force me to take down some content that I had put up. And I mean, honestly, I think that hypnosis is not a new thing, right? Not at There's, all. <laughs> it's been not around even a slightly. long time. <laughs> yes. So, you know, to say that a specific term is trademarked, it's a sentence that probably every single hypnotherapist has said. Uh, and I was trained to use this method, it, it just felt like I was being bullied to, mm-hmm. you know this person, this teacher was hiding behind their big legal team and uh, sending in the the muscle, if you will, to force me, this, you know, sole proprietor individual to take down my content, Mm -hmm. which um, in in the end, I, I didn't. And it's still, you know, great content that's available for lots of people to use. Um, But you know, circling back to the the point of this story is the idea of using mindfulness. So having the awareness to connect with my emotions in response to what felt like bullying before I reacted in a way that I might later regret or could 
potentially have legal ramifications, you know, I was able to check in and understand my experience, understand how I was feeling. And, and even more importantly, I think, know how I wanted to respond. Like, what are my intentions in this relationship, in my business, and how do I want to show up and present myself to, to the world and, you know, to this organization. Um, and I was also able to see that what I, I imagine is the other side of the story was coming from fear mm-hmm. and coming from the, the worry that maybe, um, I don't want to say that I was going to like surpass her, but that someone else was going to be successful um, was a little maybe scary for that for that individual. So, right. you know, it was still a challenging experience, sure. but I do think that, you know, my mindfulness experience and training helped me significantly get through the situation and, and to feel to feel good about how I handled myself. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you got through that in a fairly positive way because yes, that would be, that would be a difficult situation to move through for sure. Yeah. Sarah, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you Mm -hmm. five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first question is this, who is one person who has been a really powerful mindfulness um, influence on you? Uh, I had one instructor or one mentor in my Pilates career, uh, and she, I think, really had a big role in kind of the ball rolling down the hill in this direction. Um, And she was the first person to really ask me why I was doing what I was doing. Like, what what, what was my intention? Mm -hmm. Why am I teaching? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And as simple as it sounds, it was really significant for me. <laughs> how has mindfulness affected your emotions or how you deal with your emotions? Mm. That's probably one of the most significant ways that mindfulness has helped me. Uh, I was a very young mother and I kind of just, you know, fell into motherhood and I was so focused on being a mom and taking care of my kids that I really never at that time, I didn't look inward. I didn't connect with my emotions. And therefore, sometimes they would just, uh, you know, explode, or they would they would force their way out. Uh, So having that practice of mindfulness and being able to be awake to my emotions uh, really has transformed how I deal with them. Or that that I deal with them. <laughs> right, right, for sure. Tell us yeah. about breathing. How has breathing changed for you after you started practicing mindfulness? Mm. Breathing was really challenging for me when I first started. You know, it was one of those things, like I said before, you have to be still, you have to pay attention, you have to turn your attention on to one thing. Um, but now I feel like with practice, it it is my go-to strategy. So if I'm feeling anxious or stressed, um, I do a lot of humming breath. It's, you know, it's kind of a auditory reminder of your breath. Um, But yeah, I, 
it, and it's been a significant tool in my whole family. My son uses it, my daughter. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Is there a book you can recommend that can help people with mindfulness? Uh, the book that I think probably was a catalyst for me to go down this route is um, uh, From Chaos to Clarity. It's a Philip Moffat. Um, oh, sorry. Emotional Chaos to Clarity is the title of the book. And it has lots of tips and strategies and uh, practices that, you know, you can implement immediately. Um, so that was a really um, a very important book for me in my journey. Excellent. Are there any apps that you ever recommend that can help people with, with mindfulness? I don't have any apps specifically, but I do often recommend and, and use myself uh, everyday signals. And what I mean by that is like, uh, pick something that you do on a very regular basis. Maybe it's brushing your teeth or, you know, that's something you maybe only do twice a day. But if there's something that you do on a more regular basis, even walking through the threshold of a door or getting in your car or red light. So any of these things that happen on a very regular basis, uh, you can use them as a signal or a reminder to pause, breathe, uh, connect with yourself inward. Um, but they're, you know, it's not really an app, but it's kind of like a, a reminder. Sure. Sure. Well, that's really great to hear those, uh, you know, bits of information about all of those five things. So if someone was listening today and they feel like, oh, I've, I'm feeling stressed. I don't feel grounded. I wish I could kind of move forward in my life with a, a new level of contentment. What would you recommend? What would your words of wisdom be to them? I guess I would start by saying congratulations on the, the first step is always the awareness, right? You are right. able to recognize that you are stressed and that you want a different way. So I think that that, you know, deserves a little bit of a, uh, celebration in a way, a, a pat yes. on the back, a, you know, good job. And then the next step would be to understand some practice that gives you uh, it's like a strategy or a, a, a practice that allows you to have uh, love and acceptance for your experience. And then you can make the change that you want to make. But only after you've accepted that this is the experience. You stop resisting whatever it is that is causing the stress because the resistance will, I'm sure you're aware, add additional stress and suffering. Absolutely. So hopefully that helps. The Mindful Movement. Mm -hmm. Mindful Tribe. Go to themindfulmovement.com and find Sarah Raymond and all the things that she offers. And thank you, Sarah, so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you, Bruce, for having me. I always love connecting with others that uh, are like-minded. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, all the best to you. Bye now. Bye-bye. 
Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining me today for this interview with Sarah. Great to have you with us, like I mentioned. Are you looking to feel more relaxed? Would you like to feel more focused? Would you like to feel less anxiety and less stress? Well, I have something for you. It's a free guided meditation I've created. It is called Waves of Content and it truly can bring you more calm, can help you to feel more relaxed and uh, calm your mind, relax your body. Like I said, it's called Waves of Content, so it's yours free. Just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash waves of content and enjoy that guided meditation. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, a wonderful season of celebration if this is celebrating time for you. And just take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.